0: Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Ninety Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host Harry Simiyu, back in the studio and back with you for another live show. Really, really looking forward to this one because I've taken a couple of days off. I mean, the international break is a bit of a drag, isn't it? And you find yourself almost in this place where you are talking about things that you know are maybe kind of slightly true or maybe have a little bit of kind of credibility to them. But ultimately, you also have to always remember that at this point in the season where there isn't much to talk about, there isn't much to write about, there isn't much to discuss. The odd story that you you think is a little bit questionable will find its way out into the public domain. And look, we've done a couple of shows over the last few days where I know the stories. Haven't exactly been concrete, but we've been talking about them anyway, and we've been talking about them from a kind of what would be my opinion angle if this were true, rather than kind of reporting it as news. Because I don't think you can do that, given, as I say, the fact that we are in an international break, which has dragged by the way, this one more than most others. And it feels like that's always the case now, isn't it? With the international breaks, every single time we get to one, it feels longer and more painful than the one prior. Is it just me that feels like that? Let me know in the chat, but it has been what feels like forever since Arsenal have been in action. And of course, the fact that we didn't really turn in a good performance against Brighton, obviously means that was kind of hanging over us for a few days. And and I've found this international break quite difficult, probably partly down to that. I've got to be honest. But on this edition of the show, we've got plenty to get into. We're going to be discussing Sevilla's Youssef N. Naziri. Is he the next part in the Mikel Arteta rebuild? We'll be talking a little bit about the Sevilla man. Uh, I'll be providing you a bit of a download into what type of player he is, what level he's currently at, and whether or not I think he would be a good option in the centre-forward position. We're going to be touching on the future of Alexander Lacazette with two clubs now said to be interested in the Frenchman. We'll be uh, diving into what some of our players have done on international duty during this break so far. going to touch on the Nations League uh, because I've got to say that did keep me going. And we're going to briefly, very, very briefly, because I'm not a massive boxing man, but I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fury Wilder fight because that was incredibly enjoyable, I must say. Let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the chat box. Big hello to Femi, to Josh, to John, to the wandering Minstrel, um, to Trevor, uh, to Little Saint and to Richie, who says, Evening fella, I hope you're getting more sleep. i, I got to say, mate, it's not getting better. Um, <laughs> it's not getting better, not at the moment. <laughs> and it is a struggle, I must admit. Uh, big hello to uh, Annie Jewel, who says, um, what else have we got? Uh, is N- N- Naziri the next part in Alteta rebuild? Because Alteta needs to utilize and play around with good players and teams rather than looking for an option. A little bit confused on that one, but I'm sure we'll um, we'll pick that up a little bit later on, mate, and uh, and we'll get into the discussion a little bit deeper. So let- let's kick off then. Yusuf N. Naziri, a striker currently plying his trade over in Seville. Uh, Youssef Ednaziri is somebody that has been linked with high-profile clubs for quite a while now, and understandably because he's really, really had a good couple of seasons in a Sevilla shirt. So what do we know about him? Well, we know uh, that the Moroccan international joined Sevilla from Leganes for 20 million euros. So obviously, uh, Sevilla saw something in this player because it's very rare that a club like Leganes would, with all due respect to them, would manage to get that kind of money in for somebody. So Sevilla, obviously identifying the guy's talent and obviously feeling as though he was somebody that they could develop, nurture, um, use to kind of elevate themselves, but then uh, have a good sell on value, which it seems this young man is going to have. So just touching a little bit on uh, serie and, and maybe what he would bring to the side if indeed Arsenal were to make the move for him, because as the story goes, he is somebody that Mikel Arteta has identified as a potential spearhead for his new look attack. We've had the conversation time and time again in recent months. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, is he still at the highest level? Obviously has a couple of years remaining on his contract. And there have been question marks where they played very, very well in the North London derby. There have been question marks around whether he is still up to the level required. We know that Alexander Lacazette, who we're going to come on to talk about in a little bit, is potentially going to be on the move this summer. We also know that Eddie Nketiah doesn't really want to be at the club. And so the centre-forward position feels like the kind of next one that Arsenal need to address. And we've talked time and time again about how Arsenal's transfer policy this summer was very much geared around bringing in a number of players in a number of different positions. But I do feel like moving forward, what you're going to start to see is Arsenal each summer going we need one or two good, high-quality players. And so that transfer policy or approach is going to change. And you are probably going to see Arsenal, rather than spending 140, 150 million on five or six players, maybe spending 100 million on two players or, or one player, you know, just to kind of continue to develop this side. I think the core of our transfer business has been done. The kind of ripping out and starting again is is well underway. And we're probably moving a little bit past that phase now. So people like En Naziri uh, feel like players that fit into this plan, this process, if you like, this rebuild, if that's what you want to call it. So the lad is 24 years old. As I mentioned, he's a Moroccan international. And according to Transfermarkt, his current value stands at around about 36 million pounds so you feel as though given the impact of covid and i always talk about the impact of covid especially when referring to clubs overseas because i think it's hit them a lot harder this is a deal that is by no stretch of the imagination an impossible one for arsenal to do but they need to not just convince sevilla they need to convince the player why because the likelihood is that given how well naziri has been performing in recent seasons, Arsenal will not be the only club interested in him. And if you read the reports that have been doing the rounds in recent days, then that would suggest that there are a number of clubs interested, but that Mikel Arteta has him right at the very top of his list of strikers and has already pleaded with Vinay Venkateshim and the powers that be at Arsenal Football Club to do everything they can to persuade Youssef and Naziri that Arsenal is the right place for him. Now, he predominantly operates as a central striker, but he has been known in the past to play from the wide areas. In terms of his playing style, he, I read a scout report on him the other day in which he was described as a fox in the box. And if you remember back to the last fox in the box we bought, Francis Jeffers, uh, that didn't go too well. But what that means, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the term or um maybe are too young to remember Arsene Wenger using that term with regards to Francis Jeffers is a striker who doesn't really give you all that much in the build-up, doesn't really get too involved in the wide areas, doesn't really get too involved in the, in the lead-up uh, to goals, but is somebody who comes alive in and around the penalty area and can make things happen. I think for me, you know, one of the impressive things about Naziri, and look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I watch him every single week, but I have seen him play uh, on a number of occasions and I have read some really in-depth scouting reports in the lead up to this podcast. And one of the things that is is abundantly clear is that he's incredibly clever in his movement, in that he does manage to pull off of defenders, does seem to be in the right place uh, at the right time more often than not. And that requires what some people would refer to as footballing IQ, right? You've got to be able to sense as a centre forward where the ball might drop. You've got to be able to make the right move so that your teammates can pick you out. And, you know, there's, you know, for me, somebody who can do that, but also has the physical presence of Yusuf and feels like a really good fit to this Arsenal side. If you are a regular listener or viewer, you would have heard me on numerous occasions say, that we need somebody who can operate as a target man, that we need somebody who can give us that option when we can't necessarily go in behind, when we're facing a low block, someone who can get into the penalty area and cause chaos, somebody who can, um, you know, play with his back to goal, bring other people into the game, but also poses an aerial threat. And I think Yusuf and Naziri ticks a lot of those boxes. Um, you know, he has played wide. As I said, he looks a bit awkward when he plays from those positions. I think he looks like a centre forward. And then, naturally, when you put him out to the left wing, he, he looks a bit unbalanced, out of place, you know, unorthodox is probably the right word. But it just doesn't feel like that is his natural position. And so, for me, he is a centre forward. He is quicker than people give him credit for. He is good in the air. He is strong. He is physical. He has that killer instinct, has proven over the last couple of seasons that he's a very, very competent finisher. And so for me, this feels like the kind of guy with Saka, Pepe, Emile Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, all in and around him, that would be the perfect focal point for Arsenal's attack. So I would be all for Arsenal making a move for this guy. I really would, because based on what I've seen, based on what I've read, based on what I've been told... He is a very, very impressive centre forward. And now that these links are kind of getting stronger and stronger, and look again, there's no guarantee he ends up at Arsenal, because as I say, there'll be a number of high-profile clubs courting this guy. He is that good. But for me, one of the things that, you know, I guess sticks out is the fact that in terms of the age profile, 24 years old, in terms of the attributes that he has, he just feels like such a good fit. That you feel as though if Arsenal have backed Mikel Arteta this far, to the point they have so far, where they are willing to make big investments and probably in a lot of cases pay over the odds for players that Mikel Arteta was adamant and convinced would be the future, then there's no reason why they wouldn't or couldn't or shouldn't do this again when it comes to Naziri. I mean, was Aaron Ramsdale at the time, you know, when you were looking at Aaron Ramsdale from the outside, were you saying... He's a £30 million goalkeeper. Would you say that Ben White was a £50 million centre-half prior to this summer? You wouldn't. But Arsenal have obviously gone that extra mile to bring in players that just fit in with what they're doing and just fit the kind of puzzle perfectly. And Yusuf and Naziri feels like another one of those to me. And so for whatever the price would be, which you'd expect, you know, he's a centre-forward, you'd expect it's going to be probably in excess of around about £50 million. I think if you see him as the focal point of your team for the coming seasons, then you do it, Arsenal. You go out there and you get it done. Now, how has he started the 21-22 campaign? Actually, very, very well. He's made six appearances for Sevilla in La Liga thus far, scoring three goals and providing one assist. If you look back at the output from Niziri last season, it proves that he's not just going through a purple patch he played 38 times in La Liga last season, scored 18 goals, which is a very, very reasonable return. Uh, managed to get a few goals in the Champions League as well, six to be specific. Um, also played in the Copa del Rey, played in the UEFA Super Cup as well. So in total from 52 appearances last season, he managed 24 goals, which makes him just under a one in two man, which is kind of what you want. And and also, you know, when you're looking at your center forward, we often um you know, we often look at center forwards and we we become obsessed by their goal record and their goal return and we look at that and that will determine in in most people's minds more often than not whether or not they're the type of player that the club should be bringing in. But for me, a center forward is so much more than that. You know, I think Alexander Lacazette proves that. Somebody who maybe isn't or hasn't been at least over the course of his entire Arsenal career to date as clinical as he could have been as clinical as maybe he should have been however it's clear and it was clear when he came on against brighton that he gives you something in the link up he gives you something in the build up that maybe Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who is a little bit more clinical doesn't give you and so as a center forward i think you need to you need to do both you need to contribute directly with goals whether that be putting them in the back your, yourself, whether that be uh, providing assists, but you also need to give something to the team, give a focal point to the team, give an out ball to the team. And I think that naziri does that. I think he is someone who fits perfectly. And if you remember or cast your mind back to last week, we were talking a lot, weren't we, um, about, uh, you know, the the idea of Arsenal looking at one of Calvert-Lewin and, or, and Ollie Watkins as potential future centre forwards for Arsenal and one of the things I kept saying was you kind of almost need this hybrid between the two like I always say about Lacazette and Oba you need a hybrid you need someone who can run in behind when that's what the game state requires who can drop deep when that's what it requires who can hold the ball up who can give you an out ball who can give you a target you need a rounded striker nowadays and I think in a lot of ways you know I said is quicker than people give him credit for, but he's not explosive quick, right? But that's where your centre-forward then needs to take on the role of creating that space, whether that be by dropping deeper or holding the ball up, for your wingers to run in beyond him. And I think that's one of the things that Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe quite like to do, is run beyond the centre-forward and run fields from wider starting positions. So for me, this just makes sense. But of course, it's, a you know, the deal is not done. Arsenal, uh, to my knowledge, a, a yet to table a formal offer. I understand that some communication took place uh, pre- previously, but that didn't amount to anything, uh, with the player being apparently last summer quite keen on staying in Seville. But that might change. And I'm not, you know, for a second, as I say, I don't want to spread fake news. I'm not saying... um that Arsenal have done this, or they definitely want to do it, or that it's going to happen. But the reports are gathering wind. It suggests, or they suggest, that there is an interest in the player. And having looked into the player in quite a bit of detail over the last sort of 24 hours, I feel personally he'd be a very, very good fit. Let me know your thoughts on Yusuf N. Naziri in the chat box. Would you like to see him uh, sign for the Arsenal? I'll come and pick up some of those comments. In just a couple of minutes. But in the meantime, I just want to remind you if you haven't done so already and you're watching us on YouTube, please do smash that like button. It really, really helps the channel, really helps get the video out to more people. Also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, It feels like we're crawling towards 17,000 on this platform, but we are getting there slowly but surely. I would rather get there quickly. So if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, we'd love to have you on board. And if you'd like to go one further and support the Chronicles of Eguna, you could do so by clicking in the link in the description and becoming a channel member. Right, let's see uh, what we've got in the comments. I love this one from Richie. He says, now I'm going to be on YouTube for 30 minutes checking him out. I was hoping for an early night. Never mind Yep, Never mind me. Uh, It'll be worth it if he ends up at the Arsenal. Uh, Josh Hunter says, I would have liked for us to get Andre Silva at Leipzig. Because this guy is, uh, but this guy is all round too. Talking about El Nazeri, uh, Football Holic TV says, "Yo Harry, it's been long. Hope you're all good. All good, mate. Thank you so so much." Uh, Wondering Minstrel says, "Smash the like button." Yep, he's got the right idea. And uh, I guess in response to my fox in the box comment, he, he mentions the legendary Ian Wright. Uh, Football Holic says, "We lack creativity, Harry. So we don't need a fox in the box. We need someone that can link up. Shouldn't be like a tortoise, like Giroud." Yeah, but you can link up by being a big target man, right? By bringing other people into the game, by offering your team an outball, by being able to hold the ball up, just even for one, two seconds sometimes, just for people to get up close and in and around you. So, you know, I I don't necessarily think you need to be incredibly rapid, um, you know, to, to link people up. I don't think Lacazette's particularly rapid, but if I'm going to criticise Lacazette, the, the thing I wouldn't criticise is, is his build-up play and the what he brings us in that sense. Don Saki says, hi, Harry, do you feel he's more like a Diego Costa type of player? No, I see him as more of a rounded Olivier Giroud, if that makes sense. More of a mobile Olivier Giroud would be the way I would describe Yusuf and Naziri more than a Diego Costa. Um, so, yeah. Interesting to get you guys' thoughts on, uh, on Yusuf and Nazir. And again, just to stress the point, I don't know that this is the deal that's going to be done. What I do know, though, is that Arsenal have an interest, that Mikel Arteta has identified this Moroccan centre-forward as a potential spearhead for our attack moving forward. So, fingers crossed, the club can get that deal done at least uh, next summer. As I mentioned, Lacazette likely to be off. Uh, Eddie and are going to be off as well as things stand. And so we need another centre-forward. It's as simple as that. Speaking of Alexander Lacazette, who, of course, as I mentioned, is out of contract this summer, it's rumoured that Inter are interested in taking the player over to Serie A. Now, it's not clear exactly on what Inter's intentions are. Are they looking to sign him in January on a pre-contract agreement that would see him move to the San Siro uh, in the summer on a free transfer? Because, of course, you're allowed to do that. or are into considering coming in and making a move for him to take him over there immediately. Now, this will be interesting because for me, we've, you know, time and time again, people have said, I don't want Arsenal to leave themselves short. I don't want Arsenal to be in a position where they've got a striker who is going to walk away for free. Like, there's there's just no way that Arsenal should allow a player like Lacazette, who they paid almost 50 million pounds for to walk away on a free transfer. My view is slightly different because given his contract situation, given the stage of his career, you know, at which he is or finds himself, how much could you possibly get for Alexander Lacazette in the January transfer window? I would argue that if you got 7-8 million pounds you'd be doing bloody well. And therefore is seven or eight million pounds worth the risk of leaving your team exposed short in a key position for the remainder of the season, for from January to the end of the campaign? I don't think it is. I don't think you should risk failing to meet your objectives because you're desperate for seven, eight million pounds. That's the way I see it. And therefore... Even if Lacazette does sign a pre-contract agreement elsewhere, even if the writing is on the wall that he is not going to be an Arsenal player going into the uh, 2022-23 campaign, you do not leave yourselves short. That would be a disaster for me. Because if one thing happened, you know, one injury to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we go from having two very well-respected, two... Um, very experienced, two very competent centre-forwards to relying on Eddie Nketiah and following Balogun and maybe Gabriel Martinelli coming in field or, you know, whatever else Mikel Arteta decides to do. Again, you know, we talk a lot about Arsenal building this team and it is a build and it is going to take a while. And the reason it's going to take a while is because you need to have more than one layer. You can't leave yourself short. And you certainly cannot afford to allow Alexander Lacazette to depart the club in January, unless you're going to bring someone in, in January, just because you're fearful of watching him walk out of the back door for free. You know, the the, the ship that had money on it for Alexander Lacazette, it's sailed, it's gone, it's even crashed and sunk. You know, it's that far gone. It can't be about money now with Lacazette. It needs to be about What is best for the team? What is best for the squad? What makes us best equipped to achieve our objectives between now and the end of the season? And as I say, I don't believe there is a club out there who would be willing to pay the kind of money that I would look at and say, well, it's too good to refuse for Alexander Lacazette, given his current situation. So hold on to him. Keep him there. If he wants to sign a pre-contract agreement elsewhere, I think he's been a great servant. His attitude is always tip-top. Let him do it. But you cannot afford to expose yourselves. And, uh, you know, as a football club, to the point where we've only got one senior centre forward. It just, for me, it would be naive. It would be silly. And it's one of those things that, because it's Arsenal, you just know it would bite us in the ass. So I'd keep Alexander Lacazette. But aside from Inter, Newcastle United are also said to be interested. Now we've talked about the Newcastle takeover. We did a special program on it a few days ago, which you can check out on the podcast platforms or on YouTube if you prefer. Where I was joined by BBC Sport journalist Harry De Cosimo, also a Newcastle fan, to get a little bit more insight and to gain a little bit more of an understanding as to how those guys up in the northeast are feeling about the takeovers of the Saudi or led backed, whatever you want to say, by the Saudi investment fund. So, Newcastle, also interested in Alexander Lacazette. And we were having this discussion today at, at the 90 Min Studio while we were on the gas tank about the fact that Newcastle as a city, as great as it is for a night out, because it is, does it have the same appeal that London does? Could you see somebody like Alexander Lacazette almost uprooting and moving into the North I couldn't. I could see Lacazette uprooting and going abroad and living in Spain or Italy or France. I I can't see him going up to the Northeast. And I think that's going to be a bit of a barrier that Newcastle are going to have to kind of jump over on a few occasions before they actually can, you know, compile the team that they want. Because I do think that's going to be a bit of an issue. And I think that. Although they're going to have incredible spending power, they've got a long way to go before they are talked about as one of the big clubs in England again, talked about as one of the big sides and have that appeal. I just, you know, for me, they're going to be linked with everyone and anyone now, aren't they? So I'm not going to read into that link between Lacazette and Newcastle uh, too much. Elsewhere, uh, Bukayo Saka managed to score for England during their win over Andorra. And I was looking at Bukayo Saka's overall England record, and he's nearly, I think, at one in three in terms of goals. Now, the thing to remember with England is that a lot of the time, the standard of the opposition, to put it politely, is shit. Okay? And, And Andorra, with all due respect to anybody who's from Andorra, I'm sure it's a lovely place, but they're not a footballing nation. And, you know, actually, when you look at how it was only five or whatever it was for England, you're probably looking at it and going, mate, well, it should have been more. You know, the golfing class is that big. But, you know, putting all of that aside, and and although that will be a caveat in the back of my mind, just how good the opposition was, it's great to see, Um. it's great to see Bukayo Saka showing that Killer instinct, you know, and and finishing and being ruthless in his finishing and not overthinking situations and not, you know, because I think a lot of players are guilty of that, you know, especially young players when they're developing. It's almost as though at times they don't always trust their instinct and they maybe overthink things a little bit too much. And and that can lead to confusion, hesitation, a lack of decisiveness that then leads to poor finishing. And I think one of the things I've always said about Saka and smith is that they do need to improve in that department. And although, as I say, it was against Andorra and it doesn't really make the world of difference to us as Arsenal fans, for me, um, actually, I see it as a positive because of the confidence building, character building, whatever you want to call it. You know, Bakayo Saka, having gone to the Euros and having missed the penalty in the final, which he should never have fucking taken, by the way, um, that's a complete fault of the manager. But having done that and then receiving the racist, vile abuse that he did after the game, something like that could have broken him. So to see Bukayo Saka back in an England shirt, delivering, producing, for me is pleasing. And I'm not even an England supporter, but to see that from a Bukayo Saka and Arsenal point of view makes me feel good because it shows me that this kid is mentally tough and strong enough to block out something like that something that was so recent and just get his head down and continue and get on with it. And I think it tells you lots about his character, about his strength of mind. And so although I couldn't care less if England beat Andorra, I couldn't care less if, you know, who scores the goals. Watching it did put a bit of a smile on my face. Just seeing that it was Bukayo Saka did give me a little bit of pride because this young man has bounced back from what happened in the final and is, you know, is is in a place where he's only going to get better. So, fair play to Bukayo Saka. Really great to see that. Also, Thomas Partey scored a goal. Yes, you did hear that correctly. Thomas Partey scored a goal for Ghana. Pretty much all of his own making, to be fair. He won the ball back, cut in field, drove a shot low and into the back of the net. And, you know, fair play to Thomas Partey because... um, (laughs) Although every time I hear he's playing for Ghana, I like my heart skips a beat, and I'm I'm basically bricking it because of how fragile he's been since he's arrived at Arsenal. The goal will have done him the world of good, confidence-wise, because you know he's he's been trying too hard lately, in my opinion, to find the back of the net. And if he can just get back to normal and and forget about it, block it out, and focus on his game, that goal will come, of course, at some point. But it was good to see him finish it, and good to see him kind of. You know, get through that game unscathed. You know, now he's not back with Arsenal yet, so we've still got plenty to worry about. And even when he's back at Arsenal, I mean, I don't think you can say that your worries have all gone away. But it's, you know, I'm always with the international break. Look, I don't like to see our players playing for someone else. I've got to be honest. I don't want to see Thomas Partey, given our midfield situation right now, turning up for Ghana. I don't want to see Bukayo Saka after the summer he had and how kind of jaded he's looked at various points at the start of this season playing for England. But if they are going to do it, at least when they play well, and at least when they produce outputs and at least when they're, um, you know, they're lauded for their performances, it does their confidence, the world of good, and it helps create momentum, momentum in their own personal performances. uh, And fingers crossed that translate then into momentum in the Arsenal performances. So, look if you're going to play for your country play well contribute take the confidence from it move forward come back to the arsenal buzzing full of life and uh, we look forward to watching you again at the emirates so there you go right um what are uh, we going to finish up on actually got a couple more bits to to briefly touch on but i want you guys to pop your questions into the live chat box. I can see there's a couple in there already. Put a little cue at the beginning of your questions. It just makes it that bit easier for me to pick them out from the chat box. So pop them in. I'm just going to touch on a couple more bits before we come to the Q&A, but we will do that, I promise. And I wanted to start off by talking about the Nations League because a lot of people mock the Nations League. A lot of people say it's just more games. It's just more pointless games. And the idea of the Nations League was to replace pointless, crap, boring uneventful friendlies and what it's done is it's given us a tournament that we can enjoy where teams are pitted against teams of a similar level therefore you get the best quality of fixtures and the two semi-finals for anybody that didn't watch them were absolutely fantastic they really really were um you know they were brilliant i really really enjoyed them uh you know it was Italy, Spain. It was Belgium, France. They were both fantastic games with drama, you know, good quality football, brilliant goals, brilliant football. It was a real treat. And I really enjoyed watching those two semifinals. I sat down and I watched the final last night as well between um, Spain and France. And that was highly Entertaining or absorbing is probably the right word for that one as well. Really fascinating to watch the two teams go toe-to-toe to to watch Spain trying to impose their style of football on the French and knowing that the French always had that ability to hurt them at the uh, sharp end of the pitch with the likes of Mbappe and Benzema, etc., etc. So really good watch that was as well. But there was one moment in that match that ultimately decided the match that sparked all kinds of controversy on social media and led to me getting pelters on Twitter because I went on and basically confirmed why the goal stood. Now, Spain had taken the lead. France bounced back immediately with a brilliant goal from Karen Benzema before Kylian Mbappe then put them ahead. Now, Kylian Mbappe, when the pass was played through to him, when it left the the uh, his teammate's boot, was standing in an offside position. Now, when we saw the replay that, the, you know, while the VAR check was going on and the, the, the picture was paused at that specific moment when the player re- released the ball, you could quite clearly see that Killian Mbappe was in an offside position. But the reason that goal stood is because in the rules, it states that if a defender deliberately plays the ball in the lead up to the goal, so the last touch before it gets to the goal scorer, then that player, the goal scorer, in that case, Kylian Mbappe, is not deemed to have gained an advantage. And Eric Garcia stretches to try and block the ball going forward. Now, of course, he's influenced by the position of Mbappe. Knowing that Kylian Mbappe is in behind him, he knows that he has to try and cut that ball out. Therefore, it influences his decision. But that's not the way the law is worded. The law is worded where it says if he makes a deliberate attempt to play the ball. And what's not deliberate about sliding on the ground at full strength to try and get to the ball? It was deliberate from Eric Garcia. So I agree if I was a Spain fan, I'd be really disappointed about that. I'd feel quite frustrated by it. But what my point was on social media last night was the law is flawed. Okay, that is the law. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that is the way it's worded. And all the officials did, the ones on the pitch, the VAR, et cetera, et cetera, was apply the law as it is written. So if you've got an issue with it, which I have, I think it's a shit law. I think it needs changing. I think it needs adapting. But if you have got an issue with it, your issue and your anger should be with the law and not the officials who simply did their job by applying the law as it is written. And, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff on, on social media, you know, well, no, I'm not surprised that that goal was allowed to stand. It was British referees. I'm not surprised that uh, that goal stood because Anthony Taylor was the man in the middle. Look, I'm the biggest critic of Premier League referees. I think they're some of the worst in, in across the top leagues. I think there's lots of them that are terrible, that aren't fit to do the job, that shouldn't be there and that have basically stolen a living at the highest level of football, just basically being crap at their jobs. But in this instance, you have to be fair, and you have to say that the issue that came to light, that caused so much controversy, that sparked so much debate, is with the law, not with the officials. So they might be crap. They are a lot of the time. But let's direct the frustration at the right place, so that this thing can hopefully get sorted. And I think, you know, we've said it all along. I've said it to mates and I've said it on the Social Club with Dan and, and Simon on numerous occasions. For me, VAR, as it continues and as it develops and as it grows and as it gets better and as it gets refined, is going to expose some of our current laws or some of our laws that we, yeah, some of our current laws as no longer fit for purpose. And this is a prime example of that. So I do think that, you know, it's something that needs to be fixed. It's something that needs to be rectified. But as I'll repeat it again, you know, the the referee and his team were not responsible for what a lot of people deem to be a cock up, the law is. Anyway, uh, let's move forward. And and I guess the final thing I wanted to touch on, and it's perfect timing, really, because Don Saki says, did you watch Fury Wilder 3? I did. And I know this isn't a boxing podcast, and I don't even pretend or claim to know a lot about boxing, but this was some spectacle, wasn't it? And I have to go on record as thanking Mrs. Simeou because I'd gone out for a couple of drinks on Saturday night. I came home and I was shattered. You know, once you get to my age and you're starting to get over the hill and you got a newborn baby in the house and you got another one who's two, and your life is just chaos, 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 chaos. Once you have a couple of drinks and you get home and you you lie across the sofa, you're going to fall asleep and you're going to fall into quite a deep sleep. And I, around about midnight, half past midnight, decided that it was um, it was wiser, rather than staying up, to go to bed and set my alarm to wake up and watch the fight. So there I did. I went to bed, and I set up my alarm for 4:30 a.m. I thought a good mate of mine who's into his boxing had told me that it was likely to start between quarter to five and five. If I wake up at half past, it gives me 15 minutes to kind of find my senses, make myself a nice cup of coffee, and, and sit down in front of the TV and watch it. My alarm goes off at half four, and I take a quick glance at my phone, and I see half four, and I say, "Oh man." My eyes are heavy. I'm tired. I'm knackered. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut my eyes for another 10 minutes and I'll get up just before the fight's going to start. Oh, mate. Oh, mate. I was not waking up for shit. Just as the fight was starting, my missus, who bless her, was up feeding the newborn baby, looked at her phone, saw something on Twitter that said that the fight was literally about to start. And she came and woke me up. She came into the bedroom and said, Harry, Harry, what's going on? I thought you wanted to watch the Fury Wilder fight. It's about to start now. And I shot out of bed and I managed to get sat down in front of the TV. I think I missed the first 10, 15 seconds. But I just have to go on record as saying thanks because I'd have been gutted if I missed that. And uh, she had my back. So fair play. Uh, That's why I married her. There you go. (laughs) but the fight itself was brilliant wasn't it it was fantastic it looked like it was going one way then it looked like it was going the other because I thought Wilder started um okay I, I thought you know Wilder obviously knocked Fury down a couple of times I'm not convinced he was really badly hurt either of those times but I just thought he was um you know I thought Wilder was quite clearly outboxed but really fought to the end. I thought he was brilliant. You know, there's been a lot of accusations about Wilder as him not being technically up to it. And I think the same can be said for Anthony Joshua as well. Big punchers, big guys. Sometimes, though, they've been outboxed by simply better boxers. And I think Tyson Fury was by far the better boxer overall. And and I'm delighted for Fury because I'm a massive fan of his. I I think he's an incredible character. I love the way he just doesn't care. Um and, he, you know, he backs up what he says with action. So, yeah, look, really, really enjoyed that fight. Delighted for Fury as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, after AJ lost, who I don't like, by the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago, this was perfect to see Fury uh, then beat Deontay Wilder and put that trilogy to bed. So, uh, fair play. Great fight. If you haven't seen it, watch it back. You'll enjoy it, even if you know the result. It's such a good watch. So entertaining. It was almost, I saw it described by a boxing pundit as almost a film, a fight out of a Rocky film. And that's exactly what it felt like, which is what heavyweight boxing should be like. So, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Right, let's take a couple more of your questions uh, from the chat box before we wrap it up. Uh, Nikomo says, would you take Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Yeah, I would. Um, As long as the fee is not completely bonkers, uh, then he's somebody I'd look at. Yeah, why not? We talked about it the other day. Uh, Calvert-Lewin or Watkins in light of a report that had come out from the Sun. We discussed that in quite a bit of detail. So check that show out, actually. Um, it's it's on the uh, it's on the feed, of course. Uh, I think it was a couple of days ago now. So head over there and check that out. If you're interested in my kind of in-depth thoughts on, on Calvert-Lewin and why I would consider him. Akeane uh, says, Harry, are Arsenal not being sponsored by a nation just like PSG? Man City and now Newcastle. Look at visit Rwanda. No, no, McKenna is very, very different, mate. Um, the visit Rwanda thing is a advertising campaign funded by the Rwandan government in order to raise the profile of their country and hopefully encourage tourism. It's almost like you know when you see you know signs visit Turkey or visit malta or you know it's it's just the the country using funding to kind of get the basically advertising itself to to try and bring tourism in visit rwanda are just advertisers when it comes to arsenal they have a partnership they've got their thing on our sleeve and the idea is as i say that it drives uh, tourism and and raises the profile of the country that's very different to being owned by a country psg Man City, Newcastle. These are owned by very rich oil states, right? And and that is just something that we can't compete with. You know, it doesn't matter how rich Stan Kroenke is, and he's very bloody rich, but it doesn't even make a splash when it comes uh, to the new Newcastle ownership. So it isn't the same. It's very, very different. And And as I said, it is just simply an advertising campaign when it comes to Visit Rwanda. Nothing more than that. Um, nothing to do with the ownership, nothing to do with the kind of inner workings of the club. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Junior Gunner says, uh, off topic. Have you watched Squid Game, Harry? I might start that tonight because I've heard brilliant things about it. But first on my list, uh, I need to watch the last episode of Ted Lasso, and then I'll get on to Squid Game. So that is one. That I'll probably be watching in the coming days. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Your wife's a legend. Uh, what a last like. Yep, agreed. Agreed. Right, I am going to leave it there. Uh, really enjoyed this. Nice chilled out podcast. International break. Uh, talking a little bit about Yusuf and Naziri. What's going on with Lacazette? Uh, rounding up what some of our guns have done on uh, international duty. A little bit of boxing chat in there as well for you uh and uh, yeah hope you've enjoyed it I, as i said before look, the international break is a content creator's hell it is for me anyway because i i don't enjoy doing how do i put this for me i'm very much one of those people that if i do a piece of content it's because i think or hope that people will be interested in it if i'm doing something kind of half-hearted knowing that it is the international break, and actually, people ain't gonna really respond to this or really enjoy this. I'm kind of like, well, do I need to do it then, or should I do it then? And and that's why you haven't seen podcasts in the last couple of days. You know, we did uh, a couple of bits on on Friday in the lead up to the weekend. Didn't do anything over the weekend, um, and and uh, we're back uh, back today, back today with a couple of bits of content. So check it out. Hope you enjoy them. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Let's try and get to 17K here on YouTube ASAP for listening via the audio. Leave us a review. It really, really does help. And I can see the reviews are slowly creeping up, which means you guys are taking them up. So thank you so, so much. I'll be back tomorrow with more Arsenal and football-related content. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Goodbye.